Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Again, we want to welcome you to Timberlake Church. It's always good to worship with you, and uh, it's always an honor to bring God's Word and for our pastor to trust me as much as he does. Uh, it, I, don't, I don't take that lightly. Uh, but as we do welcome everybody, and we are in this family series, I think one of the things we also want to be reminded of is as many of us are, are going to have a, a great weekend, and we're going to be happy, you're going to go on your boat, you're going to hang out with friends, you're going to sleep, uh, whatever you do uh, for this, this holiday weekend, uh, let us not forget that uh, this weekend there are a lot of our families who are still mourning loss and have heavy hearts, whether it's for sons or daughters or nephews or nieces or fathers or uh, people who, they're still friends of mine whose dads still struggle with stuff that happened from the Vietnam War and losing their friends. So just take, take some time this weekend to, to remember those families. And if you are one of those families where you've had somebody pass away in your family, not just pass away, give their life and invest their life for our country, we say thank you first and foremost. And second, we do understand at Timberlake, it's, it's more than just the person who gave their life. It also takes a family who sends a son or a daughter. And so we think of you. And I know sometimes we have these series, and I don't want it to get heavy because it's just, you know, we're going we're gonna to have a good time going in God's Word. But you want to know that Pastor Ben and I are very intentional about the things that we're going to bring to our church. And so we knew that after Mother's Day and Father's Day, we're going to do a family series. And some of us as families, we've invested a lot for the freedoms that we have as a country. So thank you for that. And for the rest of us who enjoy those, we're all going to participate in this weekend's message that started actually last weekend, the This Is Us series. And I want to challenge you, and I don't do this a lot, but I actually told Ben uh, last week, after he was done with his message, and I pulled him aside, and, and I, again, I love working alongside him, and I love that he trusts me with a lot of the things that we're starting to do in the last couple of months. But I looked at our pastor and I said, I love your transparency with our people this weekend. Because we talked about anxiety last weekend, and, and a lot of us deal with anxiety, or we have kids who deal with anxiety. This generation coming up, the number one issue is anxiety, anxiety medication, stress management. Uh, the generation is struggling through this issue, and we have a pastor who led the way with transparency last week. So I challenge you, if you didn't hear the message, to go on last week and watch it. And this week we're going to talk about a series, or we're going to talk about a message that some of you are not going to like, especially those of you who are type A's. Especially those of you who are high J's or Myers-Briggs and you've planned out your life for the next five years and you've planned out your children's life too. You're not going to like this title. But really the truth is we're going to talk about the directionally challenged family. The directionally challenged family. And I'm not talking about your GPS and I'm not talking about your phone. I'm not talking about the argument you had this week that you wanted to go left and she wanted you to go right and your kids in the back seat saying, who cares? Just pick one. You know, I'm not talking about that. We're talking about the direction of our family and our life. Here's one of the things I'm learning as a new pastor here at Timberlake is that we all have seasons in life where we don't know the next step. I've talked to young families who've just gotten married and they want to figure out their family life before they add children to it because we live in a world that's horrible. Do we want to have kids? Do we want to adopt kids? And I love that they're being intentional. 
And then I've talked to families or couples that are in their late 50s and 60s and 70s saying, what are our next steps? And do we retire early or do we keep working? Do, do we live close to our kids? No, they're crazy. Let's not move close to our adult children and their children. And they're having these issues. And so I hope we understand as human beings that no matter what education we have and no matter our socioeconomic background, we have to understand and have a humility that there are seasons of life where we don't know what to do next. So how do we handle that as a family? How do we handle this, this is us, this part, whatever you consider your family? And so let's jump into it. We're going to go right to Proverbs 22, verse 6. So go ahead and take out your notes. They're right there in your program. Pull them out. Fill in the blanks if you want to, but let's follow along together. And it says this, start children off, and some versions say, train up a child on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And again, being new to Timberlake, I want you to understand something. When you fill out your communication card, your connection card, sorry, yeah, we actually read those as a staff. I want you to know that. Uh, when you ch change of address or you have a prayer request or you want to tell us your story, how you came to know Christ, we actually read those. And let me tell you a, a, a trend I see for a lot of people coming to Christ. Not everybody, but some people have said, you know, I, I grew up in church, growing to church, and I, I stepped away from the faith. I didn't really believe it. I'm embracing it now. I'm trying to discover my faith. Other people have said, my parents didn't take me to church. I don't have a context of church, but I had a grandparent who went to church, or I went to camp one time, or I went to a church one time, and somebody planted a seed of who God is in their life. And so that's what this verse is talking about, is that, that fertile soil of a young person's heart, and whether they're young in age or young in their faith, the first next steps are important. And so that's what this verse is talking about. And, and so this last week, my wife and I were talking about raising our own kids and what that looks like. And, and again, my family doesn't live here quite yet, but I'm heading out this afternoon. And, and by Friday, they will be Seattleites, I guess, or something like that, right? They'll live in Seattle. We're excited. We're pumped about it. Can't wait for, for them to be part of our church family. But this last week, we had some, we had some struggles, I mean, you have f five kids, you have a lot of wins, and you have a lot of losses, right? You just do. It's just, it just comes with the territory. And my wife called me, and she said, um, I'm having trouble with your son. And I was like, ah, babe, it's going to be okay. He's three years old. He'll grow out of it. She goes, no, I mean the 17-year-old. <laughs> oh, there's, I don't know what to tell you. He's a teenager. What do we do? And I said, no, no, no. He, he's not breaking rules. He's, he's literally throwing temper tantrums. It's so bad that our three-year-old is looking at him like, are you going to let him get away with that? <laughs> and so, obviously, as parents, we start asking ourselves, what do, we do? what do we do right? What have we done wrong? And one of the things my wife Libby and I talked about was how many times in seasons of life that are crazy, like ours, I'm disconnected from my family, like many of you are. You travel during the week or you travel weeks at a time. And my wife is raising five kids. She left her job for this transition period and we're all too busy and stressed out to actually teach them anything. We just need them to behave. Please just behave. Please just eat what I put in front of you. Just do it. Do me a favor. And so if we're not careful, we relegate to a list of do's and the list of don'ts. And so my wife and I were talking about the do's and don'ts. And what are some of the do's we tell our kids? Brush your teeth. That's a big one. Floss. Comb your hair. Be friendly. Smile for the camera, even if you don't mean it, right? We teach them that. Clean your room. Be generous. Say nice words. Save for a rainy day. Respect your elders. And my three-year-old's like, how can I respect my 17-year-old brother when he's acting just like me? 
the do's of life. And then we have the other list, the other laundry list that says don't do these things. And what are some of those? Don't be lazy. Don't hit people. Don't be mean to people. And of course, don't cheat, lie, steal, or gossip. Don't waste your money. How about this one? Don't look at me like that when I'm talking to you. Now you look at me when I'm talking to you. The kids are like, which one is it? Which one? Do I not look? Do I look? They're kind of looking halfway. And my wife and I looked at that. How about that imagery for sometimes raising a family? Sometimes as the adults, we contradict ourselves. Because sometimes the lists don't match up. Why? Because they're rules. And what do we do in human nature? We try to break and get around the rules. Now, I know none of you do this. But I do. Right? The problem is rules and regulations don't necessarily bring direction. How do we find direction in our lives? And if we're not careful, we'll raise up a, a generation of students or grandchildren or employees, maybe at work. You've given them the list of do's and don'ts, but have we given them direction and training? And here's what comes the natural question. What is life really about? What is this job really about? What is this company really about? Because if all we do is give do's and don'ts, it doesn't necessarily give direction. So what does that mean for us in our spiritual lives? If we do the same thing as the church, here's what you do, here's what you don't do. And some of you who are in the, in the journey of life, that's what your, your biggest fear is that one day Ben or myself are going to get up one day and we're, we're going to say, ha, we fooled you, here's what you can do, here's what you can't do. That's not the kind of church we are. We're a no-shame culture for a reason, because we want you to be who you are and discover who you are in Christ. So, how do we address this? We're going to go to Jesus. Here's the context. The Pharisees, these religious leaders who are highly educated, and they follow all the laws to the best of their ability, they corner Jesus and they say, hmm, with all the laws that exist, which one is the greatest one? Which one is the greatest law of all the laws? And Jesus, in all of his wisdom, says this in Matthew chapter 22. Follow along with me. It's right there in your program. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. Now, some of us got lost on the first word, love. Oh, that's what I expect. You Christians are so emotional. You raise your hands and you sing out loud. Oh, you're so emotional. That's not what it's saying. If you, read, if you read the whole verse, love is an action, and Jesus breaks it down. We show our love for God by how our heart responds, how our soul responds, and how our mind responds to God. It's a three-part action. But then he continues, and the second is like it. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So according to Jesus, here's the formula. You train, plus you have clear commandments, and it equals direction. You train, clear commandments, and it equals direction. You ever started a job, and as soon as you start, they give you the, rule, they give you the rules of the place, the HR manual? And that's all they give you, and you got to figure out how to work everything? 
And then you get like 50 emails from 50 de departments, and none of it is congruent, none of it makes sense, and you're trying to figure out your company, and if somebody would just, just take some time and really train you, plus the commandments, now you have a clear direction to go in. How many of us do that in our homes? How many of us have clear things that we want in our homes, and we're training so that there's a direction we go in as a family? I struggle through that sometimes. And that's what we're going to talk about. Because when we talk about training, we're going to go right to the actual dictionary uh, interpretation of the word train. It's a verb. Now, there is such a thing as training. It's a noun. Let me tell you the difference. The noun of the word train is that HR class that they're giving that is optional that you don't attend. That's a noun. Because there's no action on your part to participate. It's a class. It's a thing. But you're not in it. When you go to that HR class, you are actively participating. So now that training becomes a verb because it is an action that you took. So when we're talking about training our family, ourselves, our marriage, our grandkids, our nieces, nephews, roommates, whatever your us is and this is us, there is some action. So here's, here's, the, here's the definition. Teach a person or animal, and if you have kids, they're the same thing, a particular skill or type of behavior through practice and instruction over a period of time. Now, if you're a type A, you're pretty driven, like me, you hate to have to instruct somebody more than once. I've already told you once. Are you not smart enough for this job? Are you not, can you not do this? I pay you good money. You should just know it. I told you one time, you got it. The truth is, training comes over time. You build culture over time. Time. And sometimes we struggle with that very thing in our own home, the issue of time. And it can be a struggle for all of us. So what are the questions that come out of this, and what are the answers that we can address with the questions? Here are the three questions. Do we feel confident enough to teach? Once you write these down in your notes, I'm telling you, when you write them down in your notes... When you use your own handwriting, there's something about it that sticks to your mind. Do we feel confident enough to teach? Here's the funny thing. Our church is highly educated, and a lot of you are top in your field in what you do. Some of you own your own businesses. Some of you are high up at executives in your companies. That's amazing. And, and so that, now you go consult other companies, or the headhunter comes and tries to get you to go to another company. makes you feel really good. And all week long, people are telling you how great you are, how smart you are. Oh my gosh, I wish you worked for our company. Oh my gosh, man, more people should hear what you have to say. And then you go home, and your seven-year-old's like, prove it. Because it's hard to really lead the people who know your blind spots. It's hard for me to lead when my kids know my blind spots. So guess what we do? If we're not careful, we will give in to everybody else who thinks we're great. And we forget just to be humble and lead our family at home even when they don't think we're so great. No, we're not all comfortable and confident in teaching. But we're going to talk about that. Second question is this. What are the behaviors we want to instill? Do we even know what we want our kids to do, what we, we want our husband or wife to do? I mean, Libby and I, again, transparent, Libby and I are pretty open. Uh, so some of our arguments, our biggest arguments have not been about anything. I'm sure that never happens in your marriage. You know what it is? I didn't like the way you looked at me when we were talking. I didn't like your response. I didn't. You, I get defensive. She gets on edge. 
and, I, and we have to remind ourselves, now what are we talking about again? Because we're arguing about the peripheral and at the heart of an issue. And if we're not careful, we do that in raising our family and raising our kids. If we're not careful, we have a moving target for our children that they never can reach. Before I moved here, and maybe this is a Texas problem, but I doubt it, because the school districts are pretty similar from where I came from. I talked to three principals, two high school principals and a middle school principal. And these are some of the best high schools in Texas. And two of them told me that they believe at least 45% of the kids in their school are in anxiety medication. And the middle school said that it's about 60. And I said, why do you do, why do you, why do you, and, the, and the, the principals looked at me and they said, Pastor Carlos, it's not us. The parents don't know what to do, so they're taking their kids to the doctors to medicate them because it's hard to leave them. And I said, well, what do you think the issue is? Maybe it could be that the parents win in life when their kids win. And, and instead of really partnering with our children for how God created them. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. What do we really want? I met, a, I met a student at our Duval campus. Her name is Brielle. She came up to me after service on Wednesday night in Duval, and she said, Pastor Carlson, I want to let you know something. My wife, my, my, wife my, my family and I were struggling. My dad and my mom, and I said, oh, what's going on? She goes, you know, we're struggling spiritually. I said, oh, well, let's, let's pray for your family. She goes, no, 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 that's not my assessment. My mom and dad sat me down and said, our family is struggling spiritually. We're going to make Timberlake our home, and we're going to grow spiritually together. Now, as a pastor, I could have I loved the low-hanging fruit. Oh, we got a new family in Duval. But as a dad, you know what spoke to me? That a mom and dad sat down with their 17-year-old, that instead of trying to impress her, and said, we're struggling in life, and we need a spiritual foundation, and that she heard them. And it challenged me as a dad. Do I do that? Do I know the behaviors? Am I willing to be transparent? Because I want them to grow in Christ. Third question is, are we in for the long haul? Are we in it over time? As a former youth pastor of 15 years, let me tell you what I loved about parents, because I really did love working with parents. Parents love their kids. They love their kids. They go crazy over their kids. They go literally sometimes they go crazy over their kids, right? And you might be one of those, and we love you. There's no shame here, right? Okay, so love your kids. And then in middle school, they go extra crazy because not only are they crazy over their kids, but they need extra deodorant because all junior hires smell. <laughs> and now you're like, that's a reflection of us if our kids smells. And you're like making sure they have deodorant and all that kind of stuff. And we appreciate when you help your kids get deodorant. We really do. But let me tell you what happens. Year after year, as a youth pastor, I saw this. Parents got their kids to high school and then took a deep breath and put, stepped off. The moment our kids need us the most, we're too tired. When they're the most dramatic and they're 17 and they're throwing tantrums, it is when they need us the most. Are we in it for the long haul? And I know you're tired. I'm tired. And my kids aren't even with me and I'm tired. My wife needs like a two-month vacation. But we've decided we can't, we've got to stay in it. Even if we don't know what to do sometimes, we have to stay in the fight. In over time. So how do we address these questions? Here's three answers we can implement. And they seem simple, but we have to discover them for ourselves. And here's number one. Raising up a family should never be done alone. Raising up a family should never be done alone. I was talking to Ben this week about, uh, I heard a pastor challenge his church and I asked Ben if he'd ever said this. He said, I've never said it, but I give you permission if you want to, you know, bring it to our church. 
And this pastor told his, his church, his good-sized church, other side of the country, and he said this. Listen, we want to create a great experience for you. We want you to come in the doors, and there's food, and there's coffee, and it's great, and your kids love our kids' ministry. We want that. We want that for the first week. We want it for the second week. We want it for the third week. We want it for the second month. But if you think we can entertain you and create that experience for the rest of your existence, you're going to be disappointed with us. But here's what we can promise you. And here's what we can say at Timberlake. We can promise you if you'll walk through the next year or season of your life with us and let us partner with you so you're not alone in raising your kids and you're not alone with your middle school kid and you're not alone with your high school kid and you're not alone in your marriage and your walk with God, I guarantee you, you will want to make this church your home long term. Because none of us were meant to do it alone. It's okay to say we need help. I need help. And I'm one of the pastors here. My, my kid's leaving Texas. You know who I sent a gift to or a thank you card to? The three pastors who pastored my kids because I couldn't do it by myself. Let us at Timberlake be that with you. Let's not walk alone. Second thing is this. Our job is to teach those behind us two basic commandments. So don't do it alone, and we teach two basic commandments. Number one, love God. We love God. How do we love God? We love God with all of our heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. Everything you do. So I don't mean to rehash an argument that you might have had with your significant other this week. When they said something that really hurt you, and you said, did you really mean that? And they said no. The truth is, they meant it. They didn't mean for it to come out that way, but they meant it, because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. That's why the Bible says to guard our heart, because that's the place where we express ourselves to God. There's a little bit of emotion involved, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a little bit of expression, and so if we don't guard the well, the well gets tainted, and everything coming out of the well gets tainted. And so, in, in philosophical terms, Immanuel Kant used this, this phrase quite a bit. There's a tabula rasa, and other philosophers use that too. And it's Latin, and tabula means tablet, and rasa means to erase. And in, 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 in the church and in, in, in Christian circles, we use the same phrase for your heart when you come to know Christ. That when you come to know Christ, you can have a tabula rasa moment, which is an erasing of the things that have been written on your heart over time and in your life. Now, I didn't believe it for a long time. And I was in college and I hadn't been in church in years. And I asked my dad, what do you want for Father's Day? He said, son, I want you to love Jesus. Well, that's not going to happen. What else can I get you? Well, can you at least go to church with me on Father's Day? Sure. And I show up for church, and you're probably thinking, I'm going to say, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Didn't happen. I sat there the whole time thinking, these people believe this? They really believe this? Not knowing that 15 months later, I would have an experience with God that nobody could ever rob me of. And I still struggle when I came to church and people said I could have a tabula rasa, a clean slate, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things I've said. You don't know this. You don't know that. There's no way that if I remember it, there's, God has to remember it. But I can tell you 23 years later, that's why I worship the way I do. Because there are moments in my walk with God, the thing that used to get hung up on is no longer there. Because God wipes your, clay, your, your slate clean. Why? Because the heart is important. 
So we love God with our heart. Number two, we love God with our soul. The soul is your true self. I love the imagery in Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Why do I like that imagery? Because before anybody ever set eyes on you, God already knew you and formed you and knit you together. Do we ever tell the people in our family that? Are we always trying to fix them? Do we ever take time to step away from our family and say, maybe that's how God wired them to be, and my job is to support it, help clean it, give some direction? It's not easy. It's not easy. But it's that self that God formed in us. Psalms chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. It's not in your notes. There's some, there's some imagery again that says, that says, my bones ache for you, Lord. And it's not the literal bones. It's the inner person, the inner soul. And when I say soul, I don't mean you wish you could play the, fa- the saxophone and dance. Not that kind of soul. Although that's a place that has an expression. Like, my grandmother, she's 80 years old. She's amazing. She's really tall. She's black. She's dark. She's beautiful. Lives in the Caribbean. And when I go to her house, she's dancing. I don't know how she makes her hips do that, because I'm Mexican. We don't do that Mexicans. You know, but Puerto Ricans, they have this soul thing going. And my grandmother's so inappropriate. I'll dance with her, and every once in a while, she'll grab me on the rear end. I'm like, Grandma, that's inappropriate. She goes, I'm your grandma, and I'm 80. I do whatever I want. I said, you really need a band, because <laughs> I'm not him. Um, but for her, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it comes from her soul, not the music and the dancing. She allows herself to explore her soul in Christ. Do we allow ourselves to really do some work, an introspection of who we truly are in Christ? That's a place where an expression to God comes. Our heart our soul, and this one, some of you guys have been waiting for this one, our minds. Now, I can wrap my mind around this one. I can love God with my mind. Now, what does that mean? And so I, I was listening to a teaching by a pastor in Minnesota, John Piper, and he talks a lot about the mind, and, and he's, he's, he's a, he's a you know, PhD, really smart, uh, but he makes things practical, and I love what he said. So I put it in quotes because it's not mine, uh, but it's not, I'm paraphrasing it. And ba- bottom line, he says this, dedicating our minds to the knowledge of God is number one. So we learn, we listen to messages, some people go to seminary, we go to grow classes, maybe we teach a class, we read books. We are challenged to grow in the knowledge of God. And some of you who like coming to church, and you're like, oh, it's just this big wildflower service, I love Jesus. But you don't read your Bible, you're missing out. We have to grow in our faith, and we grow with the knowledge of who Jesus is. And yes, we can have those moments where we worship. I love having those moments. But I have to grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is. But when I have the knowledge, now we have to fight human nature. Because the second step is this. With that knowledge, we have to have clear thinking. The Bible calls it sober thinking in light of God. And let me tell you what human nature does. I have knowledge, therefore I puff up. I have knowledge, I have the degrees on the wall, I need you to know how smart I am. Most of you have no idea how smart our lead pastor is, how much education he has, or I have. Because when I, when I was interviewing with Ben, Ben's like, nobody cares. The, my, my certificates on the wall is not going to help somebody to know Jesus. It's how I express Jesus that's going to help somebody know Christ. 
So we have to get the knowledge, acquire the knowledge, and yet have clear, sober thinking that brings humility. Because if we really know that much about God, it should humble us. I know this God, and yet I get to serve God? And the last one is this. Once we humble ourselves, putting it all aside to mentally serve God. Now, how do we mentally serve God? Not walking around telling everybody what we know. It's an example from a couple in our church. Won't say their names, but in their mid-70s, and they only started coming to Timberlake about a year ago. And I've stopped them. I said, now, why did you choose Timberlake? Why did you leave your church that you were at for decades? And you know what they said? Because at our old church, there's no more children. And what do we do with all this knowledge we have and all the goodness of God if we can't give it to the next generation? And this couple who's in their 70s serves in our kids' ministry with three and four-year-olds. And I asked myself, am I willing to take the knowledge I have and spend time with a four-year-old? You may not know a lot because you're new in the journey. That's okay. Do you know that Jesus loves you? You could teach that to a four-year-old in our early childhood. You could teach one of those smelly middle school kids that I keep making fun of. And all of you are laughing because they probably live in your homes. And they're ruining your house. But they're people who need to know the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Or serving with high school kids. Who all say, oh, when I get older, like 21, I want to, uh, I'm like, oh, let's stop right there. They need the knowledge. That's how we serve. Some of you do teach. You, you, you have a grow group. You, you, you're teaching a class. That's how we serve God with our minds, is taking the knowledge and making sure other People have it. We love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. And the other commandment is this, love others. I put all the attributes that I could find in the notes. Uh, and there's a lot more, but these were the basic ones. So I want you to find this on your notes. What are some attributes of really loving others? Do we see them? Do you actually see them? Again, being type A, I can get in the lobby, and I'm focused on when I want to go, and I'll pass by five people who wanted to say hi. And I have to train myself to slow down and really see people. When was the last time you went to a drive-thru or a restaurant and you actually looked at the waiter in the eyes and treated them like a human being? When was the last time I've done it? Do we actually see our neighbors? Do we hear them? Do we serve them? Are we righteous towards them? What does that mean? A few weeks ago, driving in my neighborhood, Saw a lady who had two kids, and her husband travels quite a bit. She's trying to do her lawn. She's more than capable of doing her lawn. But there's two little kids, toddlers, on the lawn, and she's, she can tell she's frazzled. I told myself, I'm going to go help her. Had to get the groceries in the house. By the time I got out, two other guys in our neighborhood got out there and mowed her lawn for her. That was just the right thing to do. And a lot of times we pass up right, next right steps because we're so busy trying to figure out our own lives. How about this one? Do we talk to them? Do we talk to our people? You know, when I, when I interviewed, we were at dinner, and, and Ben and Terry were talking, and Ben's like, listen, this is not the South. People just don't come up to you and start talking to you. you gotta, you got to be proactive. you just got to know that. They're not going to invite you over for sweet tea, you know, and grill barbecue. There's not going to happen. It's the Pacific Northwest. I'm like, okay. Praying through, I'm like, okay, God, help me. I'm just going to invite people. I'm going to start inviting people. Well, guess what happened? I moved into my neighborhood, and I can't get rid of the people. And I probably live in a weird neighborhood, but I'll drive after work, and there's a table out in the middle of the neighborhood, and they're having wine and cheese and talking and laughing. I'm like, this is not the Pacific Northwest that Pastor Ben painted for me. And they're knocking on my door. You're not supposed to do that up here. 
knocking on, not, not Jehovah's Witness or anything, knocking on my door saying, hey, when's your wife moving? When are your kids getting here? I'm like, y'all are so nice. I kind of wanted some alone time. <laughs> I was kind of looking forward to it. But the people in our neighborhood have decided we moved here so that we could have community. And they talk to their neighbors. Do you pray for your neighbors and your family, or do you just talk about them? Do you talk about that sibling who may, causes so much drama, or do, you, do we actually pray for them? Do we mourn with them? This weekend before you get on the boat, before you go out tomorrow, why not text that friend that you know lost a son or a brother or a daughter in war? Why not mourn with those who mourn? Yesterday I found out, or this, uh, yesterday morning I found out that my wife's grandfather is in the hospital. And he has sepsis. He's 85 years old. They don't think he's going to make it. His last couple days of his life, more than likely. And I'm so excited about being at Timberlake and getting my family up here. And if I'm not careful, I can get so caught up with myself and not actually mourn with my own wife over a potential loss. See, others need us to mourn with them. How about rejoice with them? Let's rejoice with other people. Let's be excited about what's happening. Can we learn from them, forgive them, be humble with them, share Christ with them? Those are the two commandments, loving God and loving others. That is what it's about. And the third thing, not only don't do it alone, the two basic commandments, and the last thing is this. Over time, the rest of life's issues are built around loving God and loving people. They're built around these basic teachings. So when we get lost and we're directionally challenged, when we push the reset button, here's what I mean. Reset. Am I loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind? Am I loving other people? Everything else is built around it. Let's keep things as simple as possible when we find ourselves lost with the issues of life. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? You might be here and you'd say, hey, Pastor Carl, if what Pastor Ben said and what you're saying is true, that I can still wrestle with my faith over time, that, that this is a no-shame culture and I can, it's, it's okay for me to not have all my ducks in a row. Maybe today is the day that I take my next step. And what I mean by that at Timberlake is, it's just the acknowledgement that you've come to the end of your rope and that there is a Savior and that we are in need of Jesus. It doesn't mean you have everything figured out. It just means He's got it figured out. And that we're giving room for Jesus and the plan of God, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb to have place in our hearts, in our lives. If today for the first time you'd say, I want to take that next step. I, I don't know the steps after that, but I know my next step is to acknowledge that I need Jesus. Will you just lift up your head so I can see you? You don't have to raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. You'll never regret this first step and the steps to come. With your heads bowed and your eyes continue to be closed, let's pray. God, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for the people that are starting to become like family to me. I thank you for your goodness to us even when things aren't good. You are good. For our friends who just decided to give their life to Christ and take their first step, we ask that that you give us wisdom as a church to help them and give them wisdom and the courage to continue to take steps in baptism and then growth in Christ. And Lord, for those of us who have families, all kinds of families, and we're looking for direction, help us to be reminded 
that all starts with loving you, our heart, soul, and mind, and loving others. And everything else seems to come into perspective after that. Thank you for your reminders and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.